Good morning, Fiddle and Pipe listeners. This is Catherine speaking. We have your morning announcements regarding the podcast. They're very important, so you might want to listen. Brittany? Today's first announcement is we are active on Anchor and Patreon. You can follow us on patreon.com slash fiddleandpipe or anchor.fm slash fiddleandpipe. We appreciate your support, and it really does make a huge difference for our podcast. Back to you, Catherine. Yes, and if you join our Patreon, you'll be listening to our Happy Hour podcast, where you can have a drink, make your own, buy your own, go to a bar, have a great time, sit down, relax, and listen to us as we drink and talk about life. And it's only for $5 a month. Hell of a deal. It's a very wonderful deal. And on Anchor, you can join our listener support. It's $9.99, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. Unfortunately, we can't give you anything in return. But if you just want to support us, we appreciate it. We'll give you a shout out. Also, due to the algorithm provided by iTunes and other streaming services, even though we tell you every week to please subscribe, rate, and follow, and it is very annoying, I'm sure, Due to the algorithm of these streaming services, it actually allows us to get to the top of charts, allows us to be more likely to be found by new listeners, allows you to find us more easily, allows us to continue growing our podcast. So if y'all would subscribe, follow, rate, share, review our podcast, that would be fantastic. Yes, it would be fantastic. Another fantastic thing is if you love us so much, but you don't have the funds right now to support us on Patreon or Anchor. Which we sympathize, because we don't have the funds right now to support ourselves on Patreon and Anchor. Exactly. But <laughs> if you still want to support us and, you know, get to know us a little bit, know any upcoming announcements on with the podcast, then join the Fiddle and Pipe Forum. Also, we do have another book lined up for the next readage. We won't be reading it exactly after... The Inner Game of Music. We'll be taking a two-week break off. You guys will have some time to get the book if you want to buy it or acquire it from your local library. But we will have a, that announcement next week. So And we will be providing in. you with quality content in the meantime. Exactly. For those of y'all who have subscribed or followed us, have really gotten accustomed to having Fiddle and Pipe Mondays, we are starting next week. Moving to Fiddle and Pipe Wednesdays, trying to gain some of that ear traffic. So Fiddle and Pipe will now be releasing on Wednesdays instead of Mondays. So tune in Wednesday mornings to Fiddle and Pipe with Brittany and Catherine. Thank you, Fiddle and Pipe peeps. And here is our show. Hi, I'm Brittany Ross and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Greetings and welcome to Mmm Conversations. I mean, uh, wrong podcast. (laughs) Oops. Uh, Welcome to Fiddle and Pipe with... Brittany and Catherine and our guest from last episode, Mr. Matthew Richards. Hello. 
our resident bass player, resident school teacher. And resident black person. I just don't want to say that. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I came to your rescue. Thank you. Uh, We're discussing the last two chapters of the inner game of music, and this has been quite a ride, my friends. Thank you for everybody that has been listening so far and followed us on this journey. I like that we had a... We had a take two for you to say that, and it was still just as awkward yeah. coming out. <laughs> I was like, just as awkward, <laughs> See, this is what I'm saying, y'all. We need to, whenever we get on Zoom, okay, the second we get on Zoom, we just need to start recording, because we, we've been talking for almost 30 minutes, and then we're like, okay, yeah, we should start recording, and then we start recording, and we're like, uh, uh. Makes you quirky and relatable. I just yeah. don't know what to say when I'm being recorded. It's a little nerve-wracking. Just being honest. <laughs> you think we'd be used to it at no. this point. I, okay. Oh, there's a giant plane above my apartment. Anyway. Um, I, Are you no, fired? No, I'm not. I saw a plane. <laughs> it's very low. I, like, <laughs> I have my window open because it's really nice outside, and I can hear the airplane over my earphones because they're na- noise-canceling. But it was very low, so it just like freaked me out for a second. Anyway. Catherine, I what? thought of you yesterday. I didn't tell David this, so he can hear this in two or three weeks when we release the podcast. But yesterday, when David was at work, there was a little spider. Oh. So I keep, like, shorts and pants that I wear and aren't dirty yet on top of my dresser, right? Because they're not dirty enough to put in the laundry, but they're not clean, so I don't put them in the drawers. But I saw a little spider on my pants. I tried to kill it, and it went somewhere in my pants, and then I... Sh- Took all the pants off the dresser and I shook it out. Couldn't find the spider. So there was a spider living somewhere in our bedroom. I don't know where it is. It's like a little bitty one. What color is it? At least it's not a cockroach. Uh-huh. It was like gray. Ew. Gross-ish. That happened to me with a cockroach oh. and that's a lot. <clears throat> Cockroaches yeah, don't I... freak me out as much. I know that they're still gross. I think they're gross. But they don't freak me out as much than spiders do. Spiders don't freak me out. I just... Now Catherine's looking around her apartment. Can I just tell you guys? <laughs> Spiders don't <laughs> freak me out. This is a real phobia of mine. And it's been a phobia of mine since I can remember because when I was in my first school, it was laid out as a campus. And so classes, like, there was no hallway. You would enter out from the outside into, like, your classroom. Does that make sense a little bit? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a lot of outdoor things would come inside the rooms. And one of those were daddy long legs. They would love to go inside. And since, like, Mm -mm -mm. each classroom had two bathrooms, one for um, boys and girls, every time I went into the freaking girls' bathroom, there was a daddy long leg hanging out, like, in the corner or on the wall right behind the toilet. And I was terrified that it was going to jump at me and bite me, even though I knew they wouldn't bite you. Those are the most harmless spider. Are they, though? I thought they were poisonous. Yeah, they are. They technically are, but their mouths are too small to bite. People. Yeah. And really oh, so, anything so else, I think, other than their prey. Yeah. So it's just me. That's how I I mean, I, I feel you. It's terrifying to think about that. I'm like, what if they can, though? But I literally <laughs> would hold... I would not go to the bathroom all day, but I wouldn't be able to hold it. So I guess you can see what happened there. This would be a frequent Wait, thing. Wait, did you pee your pants? All the time. A lot. All the time. Because I refused <laughs> to go to the bathroom because I was like, I'm not going in a bathroom with Daddy Longlegs. And I would get written up for this. I, and I guess like a write-up slip was called a blue note. And so those were like really bad. I got like a blue note from 
not going to the bathroom at all and peeing my pants purposely and my mom would would you like, have to give it to your parents oh yeah no my parents knew and i think my your parents... daughter pissed herself because she didn't want to <laughs> go where the spiders were i told them too See, no, I'm you're normally teachers daughter. don't even want you to go to the bathroom that's the exactly. thing they get mad at you if you ask yeah and i guess i just crossed the line no matter how many times my mom brought extra pairs of pants with me to school and then finally my mom was like i'm not bringing this to school you have to go to the bathroom and so one day in after school i went to the bathroom that uh you went like the outdoor bathroom for the playground went in yeah literally like i think i went in went out like that didn't even like stay for that long and then a kid behind me went in and then he ran out screaming immediately and he said there's a black widow in there and oh, y'all, shit. yeah, I want to fuck with that. Y'all, I want to fuck with that. <laughs> exactly. Y'all got mad at me because I wouldn't go to the bathroom, and this is why. I literally was just like, y'all suck. Okay, well, that's <laughs> that's different. The Black Widow is different than a daddy long. Yeah, Anything I mean, could be if, in there. If, if, if Scarlett Johansson was in the bathroom when I went in there, that would be a... Thing. Matt would probably stay in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Never leave. Yes. Oh. Uh, well, let's go to the bathroom together. Like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's my that's my spider story. I got a blue note for that. So you know what? Screw you guys. And I bet you framed that shit too. I don't even know where it is. I know my mom <laughs> framed. Uh, no, no, she saved the clippings when I cut my hair and played hair beauty salon or something with my friend. Um, I got a blue note for that. My mom kept it. <laughs> she kept the blue note and the hair. Did you have any friends as a kid? Yes. <laughs> she just didn't have no hair. She didn't have no hair. I don't know. I you're cutting no your own hair. You're peeing your pants. I'm kind of. I was a. I was a stubborn child. I guess I don't know. How old were you? I was like five and six. Actually, this was yesterday. <laughs> I was like twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> this is morning. You know. I cut Woody's hair. Oh my gosh. Pee my pants. So, oh. the inner game of music. Yeah. <laughs> we have chapter 14, which is ensemble playing. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, yay, playing together. And I can't remember if I said this already or if I said this in our previous recording that we deleted, but I have like maybe two note two pages of notes on these chapters they were not very dense, which I actually liked. Yeah. True, yes. So it was talking about how people look back at their early experiences playing with ensembles and being like, oh, like middle school orchestra. And, you know, I find that's true for me. Like, I find middle school orchestra, high school orchestra to be, like, my favorite experience playing with other people. Yeah, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Definitely middle school. He described it as, like, magic loss from the excitement of first few years of ensemble playing to the eventual boredom later on and he says that's usually attributed to a loss of identity or boredom yes yeah i didn't write this down but i do remember him saying something like you kind of just start taking it for granted and it just stops being special and i can i can definitely relate to that i mean especially having music as a career i feel like it just kind of became like more routine. It's like, oh, you know how people are like, oh, I have to go into the office on Monday, yada, yada, yada. So it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, I have to go to a gig or, oh, I have to go to rehearsal. But now not really mm-hmm. doing it for over a year. I'm like, please get me back. <laughs> it starts feeling that way because we can, this is our job, yeah. you know, and 
you know, sometimes when we're so much in a routine, it can get boring and kind of feel like you're in a groundhog day kind of feel. I mean, I felt that a lot, especially before COVID. He talks about in the group, when one person loses interest, the group becomes weaker. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt. I I felt like that a lot before COVID. And then like learning your value as being a part of a whole kind of thing. Because I didn't feel like I was really valued. That mm-hmm. that was my problem. I felt like everything I did was wrong. Everything that I played was wrong. And even just like some of the things that the conductor would do or somebody else in the ensemble would do or say really sometimes would let me down a little bit. And that's not inspiring at all. So I don't know if you guys remember this guy. But there was this conductor at KSU, a guest conductor, I guess, uh, was invited in. And I think he was working on a Mahler piece with us. Um, and he was getting super frustrated with violin players, especially. I guess they weren't playing together or something out. wasn't right. It was your fault, Brittany. But no, he was especially <laughs> upset with violin section. And he kept getting on to them to the point where it's like, we don't even enjoy this piece. And I can't remember the guy's name. Probably not when I was there, because I remember we did Mahler 4 in my last year, but we had Robert Spano come in. Yeah. Was it? That was not Robert Spano. No, it was Songs of the Earth? Uh, the, well, probably that. The, yeah, that was like yeah, after that's I the left. one. That's the one. I forgot what it was called in German. Da, da, I don't know how to say it. But das, das Lied, Lied von, von der, der Erde. Yeah, yes. I, I was going to say it all American. I was like, Das Lied von yeah. der Erde. The, the piece <laughs> that made me fall in love with Contrabassoon. Yeah, no, that pe- it's a great piece. Oh, that um, piece. Uh, the flute solo. Yeah, oh, there's God. a lot to love about it. Oh, I want to listen to it again. I guess that was when we were seniors, wasn't it, Matt? It must have been. It was either if juniors. If Catherine wasn't I've, there. Yeah, it was either juniors. I wasn't there. It was like right there. after I left. Yeah, I do vaguely remember that because I do remember I was reading this chapter and I was like, I've never had an experience like this with a conductor, but I guess I honestly blocked it out. <laughs> yeah, or maybe you were playing violin yeah. too that concert or something and he was really getting on the first violins i remember that vividly. no i was actually first fiddle for a lot of my senior year so i think i just blocked it out (laughs) then maybe it was your fault and you just weren't counting honestly probably (laughs) (laughs) i think like what the conductor says can really affect depending on what the criticism is i guess what the conductor wants to fix yeah could lead to be negative or positive and i've experienced both of that i think i just I remember a lot more negative because I see it as, am I good enough to be in this? Well, we there, we have plenty of different personality types, especially mm-hmm. uh, at our different schools and at just at KSU alone. Yeah. But there, there there were conductors that'd be like, um, maybe maybe try it like this instead, and there'd be conductors that'd be like, it sounds like shit, fix it. Yes. Yeah. Based on that, you can figure out exactly which ones I'm talking about. But mm-hmm. it's just. <laughs> different personality types and both get results but it can feel discouraging when it feels like someone's like beating down on you even even if you know you're messing up yeah you can say things like you sound like shit but do it in like a joking manner not something that's like so serious so direct so pointed i liked the elephant Mm -hmm. comment example he used in the book where he's like y'all double bases you sound like some elephants and i was like yeah you're kind (laughs) of like all right it's like well elephants are adorable so thank you yeah (laughs) But yeah, no, it, it is like that. When you If you find a like sort of goofy spin to put on it, then it kind of alleviates it a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, especially I've had uh, conductors, like student conductors in grad school, 
who just kind of keep beating the same thing to death. And it's just like, okay, we get it, but obviously it's not going to be fixed right then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had conductors just play the same 10 measures for 40 minutes. Yeah, see, at that mm-hmm. point, it's like, what are we really trying to fix? Like, Yeah, it would happen every single rehearsal. I remember that was something that happened in my grad, like the quarters in my grad school. Our orchestra conductor was on sabbatical for an entire quarter. So we had this guy come in, and he, we played Dvorak mm-hmm. 5, and I believe it's the, uh, it might be the second movement, There, it's the slower movement, and the opening has like a cello melody, I swear to god, he went over that cello melody for 40 minutes, I didn't play at all, I was like, I could be practicing something else, and it wasn't just me, it was other people, because we were just like, what is going on? That's like when we played Bolero <laughs> at KSU. Basses play mm-hmm. A, D for however many measures it is. N- nothing you work on in that piece involves bass players at all. You're almost like, why am I here? Yeah, it's like we can oh. literally just leave and not, it won't make a difference. But that does bring us to another point that's brought up in this chapter, which was, we're jumping all over the place, so I need to find it. Under the awareness skills section of the chapter, how you need to kind of look beyond your part and see how it fits in and visualize the melody Mm -hmm. because obviously it's the thing with bassists Catherine and i are melodic instruments (laughs) you guys play important instruments we usually (laughs) but we don't usually just have like a baseline or like kind of a boring figure for lack of a better word i'm trying to tiptoe around this as sensibly oh no please please don't because bass players (laughs) bass players get the shit into the stick all the time and one of the worst things I feel like I do as a teacher is I forget that sometimes because I because I'll get into harping on the violin mode. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, y'all y'all need to fix this, whatever. And then I'll be like, oh right, I have bass players. I feel like it's even worse in middle school music because it is so. Again, not trying to be insulting, but basic. You know, it is so arranged that it's very violin melody focus and yes. maybe your viols will get a harmony and then your cellos yes. and basses are kind of like i feel like eh. all the other instruments get neglected a lot in a lot of middle school repertoire and this is kind of something yeah, you have to keep in mind as yeah. a uh, you know as a school director especially because kids you know they lose their focus any little thing will will distract them so when i'm working on a group uh, or a particular section i have to be like okay we're gonna spend like five minutes on this and if we don't get it then we're just gonna move on and we'll come back to it later because we can't we can't just yeah. sit here and harp on something because that'll get them frustrated that'll get me frustrated that'll get the rest of the people in the room frustrated so it's like you just have yeah. to move on i can't wait until next school year and we're a lot back in schools again because i was in I guess the last school year before everything shut down, I started to do a lot of just straight up orchestra cl- clinicianing, like a conductor, basically, which is super rad. Usually not seeing things from that perspective, but I think a lot of this can be applied to middle schoolers, especially, and make their experience a lot better. And hopefully when you come to my school, yeah. I can just give you my violins so I can like actually spend some real time with my violas and my cellos and my basses. I do yeah. feel like they end up getting neglected just because they're the minority and Mm -hmm. you know as a bass player you'd think I would uh remember that more often but sometimes you just get in that mindset and you're like oh no I've been neglecting you I'm so sorry yeah for sure so this whole chapter we've done a lot of talking about it but I just want to kind of go back and cover some things that maybe we haven't covered so it applies the 
the three skills of the inner game of music, the will skills, the trust skills, and the awareness skills, kind of does what the previous chapters have been doing and just takes those and just applies it directly to how you could use it in ensemble playing. We talked about awareness a little bit. Do y'all want to talk about trust or will at all? Um, I did highlight something that said, what did it say? It said, there can be trust or doubt between you and your fellow players. I was thinking about that because when it comes to ensemble playing, you do have to give a certain amount of trust because mm-hmm. you're not depending on only on yourself. You're depending on your section. And sometimes I feel like that might also promote laziness in the ensemble. Like, oh, well, if I miss my entrance, there are other people in my section that'll, you know, cover it and it's not a huge mm-hmm. deal. But at the same time, Catherine's it's like, over there, like shaking her <laughs> head. Yeah, no, exactly what it is. At the same time, it's <laughs> like, well, if you're the only person on a part, you have to, you know, trust the rest of your group to stay together so that you know and you feel comfortable. Okay, this is my entrance. This is when I'm going to come mm-hmm. in and it's going to sound peachy perfect. Like a Georgia peach. Exactly. <laughs> Not a Colorado peach. <laughs> no. Yeah. No one wants those Colorado <laughs> peaches. Ugh. Damn, y'all are just hating. Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, going back to that, he does say that there are three ways that trust can kind of be a barrier in ensemble playing. You can doubt or trust your ability to play your own part. You can have trust or doubt between you and your peers, and trust can be given or withheld by the conductor. And that's what I was thinking about earlier, actually. Really? Yeah. Like, kind of going back to, like, my experience before COVID with one of the groups that I was playing in, that the trust was just completely gone by that point. And it just made me like, I don't want to be part of this anymore kind of deal. And I was kind of thankful that COVID started because I was like, yeah, I need a break. Like, I just need to figure it out Like, my gave own you thing. an excuse, a, a built-in excuse to not deal with it. I would rather be honest about it than hide it because if I lie, like, oh, yeah, I enjoyed doing, like, I enjoyed myself the entire time I've been with this group, I would be not truthful to myself. And right. I'm sure there are people out there who you know, join groups and they feel like, okay, like I'm so excited to be doing this. I'm getting like great experience from this. And then as time goes on, they just like realize this is not what I want to be doing. Well, you know, what's interesting is that talking about trust with trust, a lot coming from the conductor, I find that a lot of the times, especially in middle school, that on concert days, they'll suddenly play the song perfect. Like we'll be hammering away at sections. They'll be messing up. They won't play together. They don't count. They don't want to listen. They don't want to do nothing. And then suddenly on concert day, they're playing like professionals. So it's like all that stress and all that harping went, you know, either it got to them or it was pointless. It's like as the conductor, I'm just like, all right, we're going on stage and I'm going to trust you that you guys know what you're doing. I've given you all the information and my trust is now with you guys. So go for it. And they always manage to pull it off somehow. It's it's like a yeah. magical uh, phenomenon. And that's like how when we were at Kennesaw, we were always assigned pieces that were way too hard for us. Like I remember the last piece that Matt and I played was Prokofiev Five, mm-hmm. which was insane. And we played, you know, we all played Shike Six. Oh God. And we all played Brahms Four. No, our freshman we year, played Be- we played Beethoven. Beethoven Nine. Like, that was our yeah, first year in college, so and we were like. This is and it's like, just like, oh, shit. This is like the oh. cornerstone of symphonic rap. Exactly. And I remember the audition that I'm like, wait a minute. This is Beethoven 9, and this is my first college audition. Helped me. Yeah, I was like, oh, 
God. <laughs> I remember my audition material freshman year was Trike 4, and it was the piccolo solo in the third mm-hmm. movement. Oh. Totally <laughs> botched that completely. Jesus. I know, right? I played that in grad school, and I was second violin in front of the piccolo. Oh I wish I had headphones. Mm-hmm. I wish That's I had That's our first earplugs. time playing, too, in the entire symphony. Like, I-, <laughs> I guess we're doing this chapter backwards. That brings us kind of the will skills and how there's a need for clarifying what your goals are. Because playing with an ensemble is drastically different than playing with yourself. People tend to freak out when they don't have control over things. Mm-hmm. Playing with an ensemble, you have much less control over a situation. Mm-hmm. So you got to set goals either consciously or subconsciously. So you feel like you're a part of the whole and you put your best self forward. You, you know, you bring your best self to the music. He talks about experience, performance, and learning goals. They're all pretty self The Pell triangle. Yeah, the, the goal can be something super simple. Like for the kids, sometimes I'll be like, we're going to get through this piece without stopping. I don't care about intonation. I don't care about togetherness. But we're just going to finish the piece together. I like that because... We need to get a feel of how the piece goes. Exactly. You know? And then they can kind of fit it together after a while. They're like, oh, okay, yeah. now I understand. And then sometimes they'll, they won't they will realize it, but they'll be listening to what the other instruments are doing. And they're like, oh, I play this when they're playing that. Yeah. Well, what I really enjoyed about being in ensembles at KSU was that when we were given a piece for the first time, we ran through it the first rehearsal. Oh, yeah. I loved that because you actually got a sense of how it went. And I was freaking nervous like the entire time because there are times where I wouldn't know like do I have a solo in this it really freaked me out but I I really liked it because you just got a sense of the piece and then you can work on it knowing what's going on yeah and then we want to have rehearsals for a few weeks so yeah and I loved that yeah they started doing that and that was good because it was like you run through it then go listen exactly it was similar to how they do professional Mm -hmm. orchestra rehearsals because Mm -hmm. Whenever I've played with any regional symphony, you really only have rehearsals like two days leading up to the concert. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that kids kind of have to learn, too, because we have mm-hmm. class, you know, well, last year we had class every day. Um, but, you know, in the real world, obviously, that's not going to be a thing. You're going to have, you know, to learn a lot of this on your own time. Mm-hmm. I think that the takeaway is just to really make sure that you know what your goals are mm-hmm. in playing and how can you enjoy playing an ensemble? How can you be better at it? Yeah. You know, like, what does the music need? What goals can you set to help the music be better? Uh, how can you translate the conductor's instructions into awareness instructions? Yes, and actually, this kind of dips into the next chapter a little bit, but it's more of, like, as the teacher, I can be like, okay, this time we're going to play it twice as fast just to see if we can do it. Mm-hmm. Or this time we're gonna play it super soft just to see what we can if we can do it, and that's mm-hmm. kind of increasing their awareness because it's me giving them okay think about this when we play it this time, and if they're like oh you're playing too loud okay we said we're gonna play it quiet this time, or whatever it is that that kind of gives them a different goal to think about each time and that keeps them on their toes so they don't get into that uh, automatic boredom habit. Yeah. Chapter 15 is improvisation, composition, and creativity. Half of the chapter was exercises. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting, though, because a lot of them, it was like meditation exercises. Yeah. I did start actually doing meditation at home. 
um, not for 30 minutes at a time. But, no, um, I can only do but, 10. <laughs> yeah, I, I start with 10 minutes, 15 minutes sometimes. It is definitely a good thing to do because you're thinking about your body in a way that you don't really. You're like making yourself more aware of what's going on in your head, what your yeah. l- limbs are doing. I feel really calm and I feel like sometimes the time goes by really fast. It does. I, once you like slip into the rhythm, you're like, oh, it's over already. I don't know. Recently, I've just been doing it more because it helps me not freak out as much, especially when I go into work and it's busy. So <laughs> right. I'm like, this is this is good for me. I should do this. Yeah, it's especially good getting away from the chaos of a middle school. And oh, God. Like, OK, I just need silence for like the rest of the day. Yeah, I don't blame you for that whatsoever. He essentially wrote out a script for how to guide yourself through meditation. And it's a good five, six pages. Yeah, I was like... Yeah, it was it was long. But it reminded me a lot of... Before David and I got married, we did a month or two of couples therapy. Just to kind of, you know, make sure we were on the right track going into marriage kind of thing. And our last session before our wedding we did a hypnotherapy session where our therapist essentially walked us through with instructions like this. And the goal was, you know, whenever you're in a spot where maybe you're not happy or you're confused or you don't know what's going on or whatever, you can always come back to this, that kind of feeling. And it was like a 30 minute session. I remember at the end, I was like, we're both basically trance. David was sleeping. (laughs) <laughs> he was so relaxed, he fell asleep. And I was, I just remember thinking about, like, orange creamsicles. Why does that not like, surprise really me? Them. That does not surprise me for <laughs> that either one of you. delicious, though. That's, like, exactly how I would expect David to react, and that's exactly how I would expect <laughs> you to react to that. It sounds hokey, but it was really helpful because it's nice to kind of go back to that place, your inner calm, mm-hmm. when things are kind of shaky around you. The inner game of marriage. <laughs> Yeah, basically. And it's just like, if something is unstable, or even if if times are good, it's always nice to kind of like fall back on that and remember like why you were in it, why you got in that position to begin with. Because you're you're hot and David thought you were hot, so. Aww. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) But yeah, so I thought that it was super nice. Kind of don't really know where to go from there because... Matt said I'm super hot, so not. <laughs> now you're flustered. <laughs> no, um, but yes, this, I am. this chapter is about improv, a lot of mm-hmm. improv exercises and yeah. ideas. And I tried one of them where it was like you're rocking back and forth in your seat and you're just playing notes on my trusty piano over here. And how'd that go for it you? It actually went surprisingly well considering how bad I am at <laughs> piano. Um, <laughs> but it's really interesting because it got me thinking like, how I'm the type of person that I'm better or I'm at my best when I'm not planning things out. Like Mm -hmm, I'm just a go with the flow kind of person. And the second I start thinking or trying to plan something out is when I screw myself up. I kind of just have to go with it. But it's also like my brain is the kind that likes to plan things. So Mm -hmm. I often fall into the trap of trying to plan something out. And I'm like, oh God, what if I mess it up? What if this doesn't go right? What if it doesn't go exactly in the same order that I planned? Ho, 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 ho. So I kind of just have to go and like, all right, I'm just going to do this. And that goes for like writing. We've been doing this little writing seminar with David. So. And some other friends. And some other friends. 
we've been talking about uh, writer's block. You know, how do we overcome writer's block? And the easiest way that I've come up with is just to write something. Mm -hmm. Even if it's Mm -hmm. sounding like ass, it's coming out and it's not what you were thinking of at all. Um, Even if you read it back, you're like, what the hell was I thinking? It helps just to get it out on the page, even if it sounds terrible. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. you can look back on it and be like, okay, so this, maybe it's better than I thought it was. Or maybe this is, you know, not what I wanted to write. Maybe I want to take it a different direction. And writing is a tangible thing you can kind of see to evaluate yourself. Yeah, I think that way with when I create Instagram posts and even when I write music because it's easy to get in writer's block for both of those things. Because with Instagram, it's just like, what do I want to post about? Like, what is something relevant in my life that I could write about? And sometimes it's good, and then I'm like, okay, I'll go with this. And other times I'm just like, nah, I don't want to do this. Like, this doesn't sound good. But I just write it out anyway if I have something on my mind. And I usually do it on my phone. I just write it in my notes, and that's it. And then mm-hmm. I'll take, like, I'll just take a break from it and maybe look at it the next day and edit, look over it and determine, should I go with this or not? The same thing with writing. Yeah, you come back and look at look at it the next day. You're like, oh, you're sort of removed from it yeah. at that point. And it's the same thing with writing music too. One day I just had a timer for thirty minutes. It was after mm-hmm. I worked a really long shift at the coffee shop, and I just went to my piano and had my finale up, and I just wrote something for piccolo. And yeah, I mean, I after that thirty minutes is up, I took a break. And then the next day I went back at it and I listened to it. I played it, edited a few things. And I was like, I like this. Like this came out pretty well. And it was, I think the first time I've like really written something since like this entire thing started. I get that way with painting a lot. I get really intimidated by a blank. I do, I do a lot of oil paints. Um, I get really intimidated by a blank canvas and I won't start forever. And I find that once I just put a little bit of paint on it, even if it's just a a boring underpainting with two colors and just your vague idea of your subject and no background, I do start to feel better about it and more inclined to work on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just got to get started somehow and get get the creative juices flowing. (laughs) And that's that's what he was trying to do in this exercise. Um, He had a lot of... Was this the one where he had a lot of like ideas, like emotions, mm-hmm. moods, mm-hmm. or actions, mm-hmm. or in a couple measures to base things yeah. off of. Yeah. To kind of start start the process mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Or like come up with an emotion and like play a piece, change it up to fit that emotion or something like that. Yeah. And I guess it's been like that for music for me too, because I've been practicing as much. Uh, so I'm like, okay, if I just practice even 10 minutes, it's better than doing nothing. When I want to practice, but I don't really want to do like, a structured practice that I usually do I just kind of turn on a drone and I play along mm-hmm. to that drone it could be like a note that I have trouble tuning with or just a key that sounds just right for me and I just kind of play around with the scales and arpeggios with it and create like a melody and it's kind of nice and I do it on mm-hmm. my tunable app I record myself sometimes and Sometimes I, I think about that and I'm like, maybe I could use this for future material if I want to write something out of this. So I should get back into a better practicing routine. Some, when summertime comes around, you're like, I don't want to do anything. But summertime and the living's easy. You already know. <laughs> living's easy. But, uh, you, mm-hmm. but no, like one thing I used to do is I just used to take out a dice and it's 12 sided dice 
and each number would be... Dodecahedron? Sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) But each number would be a key, and whatever I roll on the dice is the key that I'm going to play in today. And it would suck if I got... And then I would also have a coin. Heads is major, tails is minor. So it would really suck if I got, like, A-flat minor. But if that's what I got, that's what I got. And I would just let that sort of be my... I wouldn't have to make the decision. It's like, oh, the fate told me I have to play A-flat minor today or whatever. I thought you were going to say that you had to, like, play one note, not like a scale. It's like, okay, we're getting to some 12-tone theory here. Oh, no. no it, it, <laughs> For all of you inexperienced uh, listeners. No. It, 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 each one is supposed <laughs> to represent... We would lose every listener. Exactly. The major and minor scales. That's that's all we had. But I could add that, too, if I want to get really hardcore. That could be yeah. fun. It could be an interesting exercise. It could be. Maybe for, like, just do it once. <laughs> yeah, and I've never, like, composed anything either, so maybe I could try that and see if I... Today I'm composing in E-flat. Or yeah. So, this chapter just closes the book with improv and composition to kind of get you in touch, how you can naturally get in touch with yourself, mm-hmm. too. And it made me really happy that I took jazz improv in undergrad, and then Catherine and I took a intro to composition class together in undergrad. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy I went out of my comfort zone to do these other outlets in music. I have since learned that composition's not my thing, <laughs> but I'm really glad I tried it because it gave me skills that I use to arrange music and transcribe music currently. And improv is something I wish I was more confident at and something I wish I did more of. Let's do it together right yeah, now. Yeah, it's fun. We, <laughs> we can get our instruments out. Have a jam exactly. Uh, this is a jam session, freestyle sesh. You already know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> DJ Maddie Ice in the house. <laughs> Do we get cool names? Coming at you, you with my girl, the Ginger Cat. We got the Ginger Cat. Meow meow. AKA, uh, <laughs> AKA Ross Furniture. You already know what it is. <laughs> I'm so sad. <laughs> that's. Hey. That's my name. Uh, I'll come up with something better. But, uh, <laughs> Do I have to earn a better name? Well, that's the thing, because uh, people like, with Megan, she's strawberry shortcake because she got red hair and she's short. <laughs> and she got cakes. Tim. And Tim. She thick. Tim is Marshall Law because he's, uh, uh, his last name is Marshall and he's laying down the law, so you already know. And then Emily Crisp. There's so many different words you can use with Crisp. So I'll come up with a better one for you. And the best you could come up with me your one of your longest closest friends is Ross Furniture. <laughs> you could be DJ Bernie Bernie DJ Bernie Sanders. So I'm an 80 year old man that's gonna keel over. <laughs> uh, like I said, it, it, this is a workshop title. I will. I guess I shouldn't be shitting all over your improv, huh? Yeah, this is me improving. Right? I am fascinated <laughs> by your improv. <laughs> It's like we're creating a safe space where we can make mistakes. Exactly. And then we can shake and bake and oh. get out the rake. Shake and bake. Know. Did you watch Talladega Nights recently? Uh, if 2008 is recently, then yes. That was our b- marching band slogan in high school. Shake and bake. What, shake and bake? Yeah, because our teacher loved that movie. I'm telling you. Well, it did come out around that time. Yeah, so. yeah. it was back in the day. One thing I wanted to say towards the end of this chapter was he has a section where he talks about dreams as a source of intuition. And he talks about how your dreams... Okay, keep in mind... This was written in the mid-80s. He talks about how dreams are your subconscious coming forward. He said that he had a dream where he's like a classically trained bassist, and he had a dream where he was playing jazz really well, and then he woke up and called his friend and asked to play jazz with him, and they played jazz, and it went really well. 
I'm editing our ninth episode, which is when I was like, hey, this book is very dated because medical science has gone, you know, progressively farther in the last 50 years. Your dreams are basically just your brain trying to make sense of like your random neuron firings and like electrical firings. It's not your brain, your subconscious coming forward or anything. It's your brain literally trying to make sense of itself as you're sleeping. Right, but it's I can see why he would say that because you know, even with the science we know now, if we don't look at it in necessarily a scientific lens, I could see where that... Are you telling me to not be logical, well, Matt? You're right. <laughs> this is coming from me. Who Anything that doesn't have a scientific explanation, I'm like, get it the fuck out of my life. Um, but if you, if you do strip that away a little bit, you're like, okay. Because you think about your dreams, it's always pieces of things that you might know. Or like, you know, there's people, faces... That from different points in your life and they're all coming together in this dream and i'm kind of just being super weird and spiritual or something right now i don't know but i can see why he would say it's kind of like your subconscious coming forward maybe it's like a thought that you have that it wasn't at the forefront of your brain but when you were sleeping it sort mm-hmm. of came to the surface anyway. yeah it came to the surface or something like that i guess even though there wasn't much for lack of a better word, content with these two chapters. I I liked how the book finished. I did too. I really liked the quote. It's on page 221. It was a Mozart quote because I relate to this a lot. When or how my ideas come, I know not. Nor can I force them. You can't force ideas. They just kind of yeah. have to come mm-hmm. to you. And mm-hmm. I've done that plenty oh, yeah. of times. And nothing good comes out of that. So Of course. When I sit down and I'm like, today I'm going to write something. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm suddenly writer's block. But like mm-hmm. just the other day I was in yeah. the shower and all of a sudden all these ideas just came pouring out of, well, not pouring. It just came flooding out of my brain. And I was <laughs> like, all right, I, let me finish up this shower because I'm about to go write all this down. And like I said, it turned out not as great as I thought it was going to, but it was great to just get it on the page. And to say, okay, these these are my creative juices now. Yeah. And now I have a foundation to work with. It kind of reminds me of, and I might get a lot of flack for this, but what Taylor Swift does when she writes songs. Um, Romeo, <laughs> take so me somewhere we can be alone. I'm I'm such a nerd, and I like watch everything that she has, and so there's. I think she did this twice. I think it's on her documentary on Netflix, and then. She's a documentary on Netflix. Yeah. Wait, Taylor Swift is a documentary? Yeah, it's like when she uh, wrote Reputation. I guess I know what I'm doing tonight. Yeah, it's like right between, it's like when she's getting into <laughs> Reputation and then writing Lover. It, it's kind of into that. The shift between the yeah, two? Yeah, and okay, she, I think she mentions this and shows this in the documentary, and I know she definitely does the same thing. When she was nominated for Grammys back in like 2016, she did like an interview uh, explain what she did, but you, she usually, whenever she comes up with an idea for lyrics or just a tune, she'll go in her voice memo app and immediately like say the lyrics or say the tune or sing it, whatever. I thought that was really mm-hmm. cool, and I was like, I wish I could do that, and I'm too lazy to do yep. that. <laughs> but actually, no, it's, that's cool. Yeah, that she did that uh, because going back to dreams for a second, actually, this is actually <laughs> kind of stupid, but I, I literally I was singing a song in my dream. And then the second I woke up, I'm like, where's my phone? I need to type this down Mm -hmm. so I remember this because that was fire. Uh, Hold up. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Just something pops into your head. You don't know how. And you're just like, okay, let me capture this and uh, see what 
comes of it. And that's what I, that's how some of my ideas for some of the pieces I've wrote have come up. I just think about the tune, like, in that moment, and then I'll just go straight to, like, my piano, even if I am trying to do something else, or I wasn't planning mm-hmm. on doing that, and I've been doing this a lot more lately. I haven't always done this, but I guess it's just because I'm lazy. I don't know, but... Um, How did you write our tune for our podcast? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I just, like, <laughs> I knew that we I needed to write something, so what happened with that was before I, like, actually sat down and wrote it, I was trying to think of a joyful melody in my head, and once that started coming in and staying there, like, every day, I was like, okay, I'm just going to try to write this out and then we did that first draft of it and then I was mm-hmm. like oh like this is not as together as I wanted it to be and so then I rewrote it and I kind of just chunked it up a little bit I was really concentrated mm-hmm. on that um, but yeah. yeah we had like a solid three days of recording that back and forth between the two of us <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw on Instagram the past week or so I or Megan I guess posted this uh, it was me doing a little rap in support of Gay Pride Month. No, I haven't seen um, it. uh, I don't know if... She probably posted on the story, so it might not be there anymore. I think it was on a story. It might not be there anymore. I honestly saw it, and I couldn't listen, which was Well, I still have it, so maybe I'll send it to you guys. Um, But this this was another idea that just sort of popped into my head. Like, I was in the car, and then I was like, I gotta go home and write this down. Disclaimer, quick secret. I am not a rapper. I have never really rapped in my life, but I was like, you know what? This is actually a good idea. I'm going to try it. It's two bars. It's not even that long. And I just was like banging on my desk for a beat. <laughs> and I'm sure you know, how to turn out. it turned out actually really well, I think. Um, and then it, like, I'm pretty sure the neighbors were like, what the hell is this man doing? <laughs> um, but no, it was a lot of fun to do that. And it sort that's another thing that I sort of want to like explore doing more is just making music out of what's in front of me yeah like, that's a nice mixture of improv and composition exactly like you can mm-hmm. do a lot with that like if you record yourself and you want to like distort it in any way you could use stuff like audacity right. just to like if you want to create something mm-hmm. that's again and that's actually what jack antonoff did for taylor swift anyway <laughs> uh, but actually no <laughs> we i have a flute player here and i have a violin player here whatever mm-hmm. the hell i am i've been playing a lot of Octopath Traveler, which is a video game on the Switch, and it has a great soundtrack. And there's a piece in there that's like, it ha- it's not really a flute, but it's like close enough. Like an ocarina. Um, ocarina. Yeah, some, something like that. Yeah, something like that. But um, it has a flute, it has uh, a violin, or two violin parts, I guess, and then like percussion. So I was sitting here thinking, like, okay, well, I can just get out my cello and hit it, and that's the percussion. Just do and it. And then, uh, I could play one of the violin parts on a cello or something, and then Brittany could play the other violin part, and then Catherine could play the flute part, and then bam, we just got a recording. Yeah! Let's I'd, do it. I'd be down. <laughs> That'd be really fun. So, yeah, <clears throat> that's something I'm going to look into this week and see if I can uh, create a version of it that makes sense. Yeah, that'd be really cool. That would be rad. So make music with your friends is what we're saying. Yes. Uh, that's a good way Do to it. get the juices flowing. That's a good way to explore yourself as a creative artiste. That kind of thing. And I think it's so needed after everything, like collectively that we've all been through with COVID and with that having literally been stripped away from us. I think that's another reason why this 
ended so well because it's like, oh, you know, you got to remember why you like it. You got to remember why it's important to get in touch with yourself. In middle school, it was all about making music with your friends. And that's what we have to get back to. Mm -hmm. It makes it more enjoyable. It really does. Like, yeah. I like I just like playing yeah. with people that I like. I just want to play music for the rest of my life, and I'll be happy. <laughs> oh I, I want to see the kids well, learn to play music and enjoy it. That yes, yeah, I enjoy that a lot. Just teaching, even if it's like, because another another thing I feel like teachers get stuck in is like, oh, this is pop music. We can't have you playing that. This is not real intellectual music. Um, but no, I, 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 and I think a lot of teachers are getting better about this. I try to encourage them to be like, Hey, just because you're playing the violin doesn't mean you have to play box sonatas or uh, yeah. whatever for the rest of your life. Very hello lamb. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can be creative. You know, a lot of pop artists use the violin in their re- recordings. You've seen a lot of what like people like black violin, uh, I think it's Heather something. I can't remember her name. Uh, Lindsay, Lindsay Sterling is another big one. Another one. All these people are doing all this crazy stuff with the violin. And that's those are the first people that kids will see. So, And obviously, they wouldn't have just come up with that stuff if they were just like, oh, I'm just going to play the violin. They were like, all right, I'm playing the violin. I'm also dancing. Let's roll with that see what we come up with. And then you also think about the music that comes out of movies, video games. Mm-hmm. I, I think what really made me want to play flute more was the Titanic soundtrack. God, you're so basic. I just uh, can't I'm... help myself, you guys. No, I, but true, it's true, though, because the movie that really made me like fall in love with orchestral music was Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, <gasps> specifically. Uh, I, that was one of the first yeah. CDs I ever owned, and I listened to that shit. Mm. Hagrid's bird is now a flute excerpt. It's yes, amazing. I love it. I love that. I, I don't even play flute. And I'm like, that's fire. Like, oh, I mean, I've played it, but I haven't like gotten up to the fast tempo. But like, that is a goal of mine to like get. But friggin' fin- oh. that, that that entire movie soundtrack is just like the best thing, and uh, that where my love of music is lies rather. I loved the Lord of the Rings. That's another one. A lot. Oh yeah. This that composition is boss. It's, good. it's so good. It's Honestly, so good. and I like uh, how a lot of the music and for the Hobbit included is I'm probably biased violin based and cutesy when it's not being overly serious. <laughs> Especially when they're in the <laughs> earlier parts of the movie where they're like, Ba-da-da. yeah, you know all that, all that, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, find find what music you enjoy and run with it. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Let's have a collective goal. Just let's just get back to where we were pre-COVID with our post-COVID knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, let's come out of this as better people, but let's get back to our happy. Oh yeah, place. I've been re-listening to music that I haven't listened to in years, especially like soundtracks and even some classical pieces that I found that I'm just like, wow, I remember why I really liked this piece. I don't know how familiar you guys are with the music of Joe Hisaishi. Who did? I'm not. He did all. most of the music for the Studio Ghibli films, uh, like Spirited, Spirited Away, uh, oh, Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Kiki's Delivery Service. All those those movies he did. Oh, that's an 
His, oh, I didn't know he did the music yeah, his, for those. That's his so cool. music is so freaking good. And that's kind of putting me back in yes. touch with my uh, love of orchestral music again is just listening to that soundtrack is just like, oh my God. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Max Richter, but he did like this recomposed version of The Four Seasons. And it's so good. I don't know if you guys have watched Bridgerton. Yes. It's in Bridgerton. It's in Bridgerton. That show, okay, one, what is it? This girl that I work with. Matt, you're too basic now. This girl that I work with calls it like the raunchy and trash period stuff. Yeah, no. Especially, especially now that you include black people in it, it's even more ratchet. Honestly, it's basically old school Jersey Shore. I. I love honest. Shonda Rhimes, though. So, That's the thing. Like, I, I saw Shonda Rhimes. I'm like, all right, I have to check this out. She wrote this. Like, I'm watching this. It's. Yeah. I like it. I think it's a good show. I. I. Um, I it's. It's. I'll. I'll. I'll yeah. I'll. I'll agree it's, with you on that. I like it because I love the costume design. <laughs> the costume design is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, okay, that once that one episode where they're on their honeymoon. Okay, that was a little too much, and I was yeah, like, I, was I don't like, know if I can right. watch this. Yeah, I, don't nobody have sex that much like yeah exactly but it's like it's just i sit there and i'm like oh it's dramatic like this is good but no you 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 know you know what was the in the beginning it's like with the first episode they're like going to a ball and the piece that was playing was an ariana grande piece yeah (laughs) but it was arranged for string quartet so it sounded it's the vitamin kurt yes the vitamin vitamin string string quartet yeah and they were like and i was like that's ariana I, yeah. I see what you did there, show. I see mm-hmm. what you did there. It just reminds me of Grey's Anatomy. Like it's Grey's Anatomy in a period film. Yeah. With like it's, scan- it's, it's scandal in a period. Film. Anyway, but if if you watch Bridgerton, you know when they like dance in the ball and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. What's her name? The uh, Daphne girl. Yeah, and the guy's name I forgot uh, his name. The guy's name is me. I, apparently, I look like him. It's Matt. Uh, yeah, apparently. No, but it, okay, I think Matt. it's 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 a si- Simon, no. I think. Simon? Okay. Yeah. Well, when Daphne and Simon are, like, dancing for the first time, I guess, like, and they're like, oh, we're a couple now, I feel like that is, like, I don't know, whenever they dance in the ballroom together, you hear that Four Seasons version. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good, and I didn't realize that until, like, I think a few weeks later when I just was, like, I'm going to listen to some classical music, but I'm going to, like, mix it up a little bit and see if there's anything Remix. new out there. And that was there. And then somebody else wrote a recomposed version of the Bach cello suites. Mm-hmm. And I really like oh. those because you're just cutting up these classical bits and you're making it into like something different. Yeah, something that is different. something yeah. I love doing is like creating mashups and like seeing like, mm-hmm. what kind of style can fit together with whatever music I'm listening to. Someone did an Olivia Rodrigo song and mashed it up with Wildest Dreams by Taylor Swift. And it was really good. Is it Driver's License? No, I think it's... David's been playing that nonstop for like three months. It's not Driver's License, it's the other one. He loves it. What other song has she sang? Olivia Rodrigo. I thought that was... Good for... Does she have an album? Yeah, it's Good For You. So it's... Someone mixed Good For You with Wildest Dreams and it went... I got Perfect my together. driver's license yeah. last I week. I love it. That's all I All right, well, we're going to let listen. we're gonna let Olivia sing the song, if that's okay with you. <laughs> that is fine with me. I just, ugh, David always puts it on, and I'm always just like, why? Or, 
Or like, no, the, oh one gosh. of my favorite ones was uh, uh, I was listening to the Hamilton soundtrack because I'm obsessed. And uh, mm. but oh my god, Dave and I are seeing same. that in September. But um, I'm so yeah. excited. So yeah, it's it's, it's it was supposed yeah. to come last it year. Was, it was supposed to be before mm-hmm. COVID, but COVID. I'm mad. Anyway. It was supposed to be like last March or April. But or yeah, something. I'm mad. Um, but yeah, no, it's September 5th is when I'm going. But anyway, I was listening to that, and then obviously there's the song called "My Shot" in that. And then Eminem has his song where he's like, if you had one shot, ah. they put those two together and it fits 100%. They didn't even have to change anything. It just fits perfectly well. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Goodness. You guys yeah, send me that. I'm going to send sounds... you that because it's cool. really great. So that that's the kind oh. of thing I love is mashing two things that you wouldn't necessarily think to put together. It's like, Mm-mm. wow. Marriage. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Marriage. So, listeners... Figure out why you love music and get yes, back to it. And start that. loving yeah. it again. Play with your friends. Take your music out on a date. Show it that you appreciate it. Wine and dine exactly. that. Yeah. You already know. Drink some wine and play your music. Actually, but do that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else y'all want to add? I've tried to end this episode like three times. Well, that, that, and that, we keep talking. That is, we got into like the, the, the same, and everything. The same thing happened last episode. I've reached like the the hour mark and i'm like well it's the end of the episode and then there's like 30 minutes okay. left and i'm like what is final this? thought it's okay get in touch with yourself too just wants to enjoy yes. yourself just wants to have fun it just wants to create and be an artiste you already know i'm dj maddie ice we out <laughs> see you guys quickly before a uh, shameless plug last time check out mm, conversations on uh Spotify and on Instagram and on Facebook. Your boy is there. Yeah. It's a great podcast. <laughs> it is. It's so good. And y'all, if you like Matt, let us know. Yeah. If you don't like him, Yo, also let us know. Tell me to my face how annoying I am. Wait. You will like him. <laughs> You're gonna like him. Alright, well this has been great. We'll see you all next see week. You guys. Peace.